to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick. And as always, we like to talk about things, business continuity, disaster planning, emergency response, resilience, crisis management, and anything that can be related to those industries. Uh, and as always, if there's a topic that you would like us to talk about specifically, please feel free. Go to the Voice of America website and on the home show page, there's a little button where you can send me an email and uh, I get all messages and I respond to everything and we'll see about getting your topic on the show or getting you on the show to talk about uh, whatever it is you want to talk about. And I'd like to remind everyone that I will be at the Phoenix Disaster Recovery Journal conference in September, September 23rd to 26th, and uh, we'll actually be doing some broadcasts uh, live. Uh, that'll be a first for me, so uh, I hope everyone joins us, and uh, anyone attending the conference, hey, look us up. Uh, maybe we can get you on the show live. Um, one of the topics that I do like to talk about in different ways is resilience, and we hear a lot about resilience when it comes to organizations, you know, and systems and processes. But one of the things that I've always felt, you can't really have resilience in those alone. You really need it in people as well. And if you're a longtime listener or even just listen to a couple of shows, you will have heard me say a thousand times that I'm an avid reader. And I had a book on the shelf that I read a couple of years ago that has some great pointers, and I'm not I'm not going to say what they are because I will let uh, my guest speak to that. Um, it, the book is called Bounce, Failure, Resiliency, and Confidence to Achieve Your Next Great Success. I think it's a great book, and I'm very honored to have the author of that book with us today, Mr. Barry J. Moltz. Barry, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Alex. Um, again, I, I want to thank you for the book. The, it was very good. I read it in almost one sitting because uh, um, I was really glued to it. There's some great examples in there, some great information. So on a personal note, thank you very much for that. Welcome. Um, let's start off. I always like our listeners to know a little bit about our, our guests. So can you give us a couple of minutes of you know, um, your experience, how, what you do, how you got to where you are, and maybe even how the book came about? Sure. You know, I, I, when I graduated college, I decided that I wanted to be president of IBM. So I went to go work <laughs> for IBM in Chicago and had a very stable job where I wore blue suits and white shirts to work every day. And then I had this crazy idea uh, in the late 80s that I wanted to go out and start my own business because I got frustrated with my managers at IBM because my branch manager he always used to have sales contests where first prize was lunch with him. So I always said to him, what's the second prize? Two lunches with you? <laughs> so I went off and I decided to start my own business, much to the chagrin of my, uh, my wife. And my first business went out of business. My second business, I was kicked out by my two partners a couple of weeks before my first son was born. Then the third business, I was lucky enough to sell in 1999. 
I paid back the bank the $1.3 million I owed them. And my wife tells me I got her back about the same time. So <laughs> that was kind of the roller coaster that really uh, inspired me to write my second book that you were talking about uh, called Bounce. It also uh, came out uh, right after the uh, 2000 crash, the, the bubble pop. And so I think a lot of people were trying to figure out how do they really, uh, how do they really come back? So that was where it really started. Oh, yeah, I guess that's the best way to write about uh, resilience and how you get back on your feet is by experiencing it. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's this great, um, you know, North American myth that, you know, failure is good. Um, and I'm a big believer that we all go through failure. Failure is not good or bad. The important thing is to really, uh, you know, understand when you fail, have a pity party, cheer the darkness. But somewhere along the line, hopefully within 24 hours, you stop feeling sorry for yourself, try to learn what you can. But even if you can't learn something right now from that experience, let go and move on. A lot of people have a real hard time and they say, well, I can't move on until I figure out what I'm supposed to learn. Well, sometimes when we fail, there's absolutely nothing to learn. Uh, one of my largest customers uh, was indicted by the U.S. government. And what was I to learn? I shouldn't do business with criminals. So you can't always learn something right now. And I think that's the yeah. one of the things that we have to accept. Yeah, it, it reminds me of a line uh, from a song I like. Uh, Failure isn't about falling down. Failure is staying down. That was the first mm. thing that came to my mind. So for our listeners out there, because in, in the business continuity disaster recovery world, there are so many different versions of what resiliency is. For people, can you define it for us? Like, what is what does resiliency mean for for people? I think that uh, it means a couple things. I think that when there is a significant incident, how do you let go and come back and give yourself another chance of success? Because remember, success is always about getting many chances at bat. I mean, they give the famous example that you know professional baseball players don't even get a hit one of every three times. So in your professional opportunities, if you can succeed one of every three times, that's really good. That's when something bad happens, some big event. But resiliency also is on a daily basis because bad stuff happens to people all the time. Uh, someone doesn't return your phone call. You thought you were going to get this gig and you didn't. So how do you keep going and how do you know when it's time to shift, let go, and move to something else? I mean, it's that famous expression that says, the successful people know when to hold them, they know when to fold them. Or another famous expression is, when you find yourself in a hole, the first thing you do is stop digging. And I think mm -hmm. you have to understand that first. That's true. Um, you know, uh, we see that a lot. You know, uh, People, you know, just keep going and we'll, we'll work our way through this. No, stop. Sometimes that's the best option. You know, and, stop and, and sometimes that's, that's the hardest option. That's the hardest option. A lot of people don't want to admit failure, to admit they were wrong, but the most successful people in this world know when to stop, to stop throwing good money after bad. That's true. You know, knowing when to stop and admit failure. I've been in many meetings where you know most people are always trying to, uh, how do we put this, pass the buck, so to speak, and right. yet the person who ends up with the most respect in the room is the one that said, no, that's, that was our mistake. We made that mistake. This is what we're going to do about it and move on. 
And suddenly everyone gravitates to that person. And and, and I think it's hard because, you know, blamestorming uh, is a big tradition in North America. And now with Trump being the American president, it's gotten even worse because every single day on his Twitter feed, he's blaming someone. And I think that the best companies, the way they operate is they focus on the problem. They don't try to blame the people. They say, okay, Mm -hmm. this is what happened. What can we learn? What are we going to do to move forward to make sure that we don't make the same mistakes again? Right. And so I think most Americans are struggling, are are struggling with that just because of the national dialogue. Yes. Well, it's, you know, if you're getting the direction you're getting from above is, you know, point blaming, then that really tells other people there's something else wrong. So whose fault is it? It's not mine. I didn't do anything. So everyone starts doing it. And I think if you have a culture that blames people, people are going to be afraid uh, to fail because they don't want to be blamed. They don't want the public embarrassment. Uh, they don't want to be, you know, imagine if the CEO, every single time someone failed, uh, like uh, the American president does, he calls them out on Twitter. I mean, you can imagine a CEO doing that. Uh, so, again, it does come from the top, and you have to have a culture where people don't encourage failure, certainly, but accept it, learn what they can, and move on. Um, and I think this is also a, uh, in the book, I, I research a lot of different cultures, and I think that being allowed to fail is one thing that North Americans, make North Americans unique. I think in many other cultures, you're not really allowed to fail. Certainly in a lot of uh, Far East or Asian cultures, uh, you get one chance, and if you fail, you basically have to move to another community. Yeah, it's what, what do they say? You lose face, face or something? Right, exactly. I forget the, exactly. the right way of saying it. Yeah, exactly. So, and then in Australia, and New Zealand, they have something called I read about in the book the tall poppy syndrome, where you don't want to really stick out and seem too successful because you're going to get your head chopped off. So, you know, it <laughs> yes. is I think a uniquely North American type of thing. It's like the uh, the 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 nail that stands up the the uh, highest is the one that gets pounded down the hardest. Right, exactly. Um, So why are some people in organizations or communities able to bounce back more than others? You know, what is it that Mm -hmm. makes them special? You know, I I think that uh, I think it's a very good question because I didn't know if I had the ability really to have resiliency or bounce back until I found myself there, you know. I grew up in a typical middle-class home in the eastern part of the United States, and I went to a a private school, and then I got a job with IBM for the first 10 years, and they sent me to Northwestern Business School, and it seemed that every year I got promoted, every year I'd make more money. It was only Mm -hmm. when I got fired uh, from a job I took after IBM, I go, holy crap, I found myself in this position, I started to fail two or three times in a row, but I said, really, can I find a way out? And I don't think you know that until you find yourself there. And I think part of it has to do with, do you have a supportive environment where people will really help you along the way? And I think that's uh, a difference maker for a lot of folks. So what would make up a a supportive environment? I think it's a couple things. One is that do you have friends and family around you that you feel are going to care about you no matter what? Or is your entire self-worth 
tied to how financially successful you are in business. So you need to, I think, have a broader view of life. I mean, for me, Alex, I define success as being able to support my family at something I love doing. That's Mm -hmm. kind of where it starts and where it ends. And so I think people's, uh, how they view themselves is an idea of how resilient they are. That's the first time. But I think once you've been able to come back, you know that you can do it, you have more confidence that this too shall pass. Does it get easier? Not that I'm saying, you know, I want people to continuously fail. But if if you bounce back once, does it make it easier when other problems come along? Um, I don't think it makes it less painful, but I think that it helps getting through it because you've already been through it once, so you've got some experience. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I guess that, that, that also leads, you know who to turn to, right? You, when it comes to yeah. you know, who, your support structure, you, you know what's there. Exactly. And I think that's, I think that's important. And again, it's not only the people around you, but what are you going to do to give yourself another chance of success? Because again, a lot of people get stuck in that pity party. And remember, desperation, right, breeds failure. People can smell desperation. So if you're in a bad place, you've got to get out of that place before you can have another chance to succeed. How about organizations? You know, what 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 happens when you because I know you have a few examples in your in your book of some disasters that have occurred. How do what kind of support is out there for them? You know, I know you reference um, one of the examples was the Tylenol situation, but you know, how how does an organization bounce back? What do they need to? I have? think the or- yeah. So I think that the organization needs to admit what happened. Right? Did they make a mistake? Did the market change? Is it really of their own doing? And what are they going to do to get back on track? And where are they going to invest those resources? I think a lot of times organizations have been successful. Something changes in the market or they've made a mistake and they refuse to alter their course. You've got to make sure that you're nimble, right? And I think, uh, again, there's an expression that goes, everybody's a captain in a calm sea. And anybody mm-hmm. can run a profitable business if things are going well. It's when things aren't going well, that's when true leadership really comes about. So how, how about the leadership then? Are they the kind of people who bounce back in their personal lives as well? Is that what makes a good leader? I think there isn't a one definition that really fits all. I mean, my opinion is that a good leader is people, is someone that's able to inspire others to really accomplish a goal or a mission, because that's really where the leverage is, Alex, is in other people. If it's just you doing everything, that's a job, that's not a business. But if you can inspire others to go out and work to meet a goal, that's a leader. So that doesn't necessarily have to be somebody on a hierarchical level. You know, it doesn't have to be a C-level person. No, it doesn't. doesn't. And, and, And I think that some of the mistakes that get in the way of people really bouncing back is that you know, organizations lie to the people inside their company. And I think that you've got to be even more so today, you've got to be transparent and tell the truth exactly what's going on. Uh, because I think people will appreciate that more than trying to cover it up from them. Because in general, I believe that people are fairly resilient. Mm-hmm. I, I, well, I think so, too. You know, we wouldn't have been where we are today, you know, as, you know, as a human race if we weren't resilient. You know, we live in every climate there is, so there must be something, you know, in us. 
that keeps us going. I, I agree, um, and, and I think that you also have to be prepared, you know, for the bad times, you know, as well. So I think a little preparation goes a long way uh, because there are will be cycles. You know, good times don't last forever, but the good news, Alex, is that bad times don't last forever either. Mm-hmm. Well, I I like your your uh, comment there that you know not necessarily the sea level is the resilient person that it can be anybody because I've seen many crisis management teams and people that you see in front of uh, microphones and you know the, the media during disasters and you just know by looking at them that's the wrong person <laughs> that's right. not the, yeah, that's not the right person for, sure. for this you know they they're not instilling you know that confidence you know they're they're actually showing um, what's the word you use I wrote it down desperation right um, on that, we're going to take a break. We've come to the end of our first segment. We're talking with Barry Moltz, the author of Bounce. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Attention. If you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips is an insider's glimpse at a life from a psychological perspective. It's a look at what matters to us. Why do we laugh? How do we cope with stress? Are men and women really that different? What is it about our relationships? How are they formed? How they work out? And why they sometimes don't? Every week is something new to engage you. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now. 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. We're talking with author Barry Moltz um, with his book Bounce, and we're talking about resiliency, resiliency in people. And Barry, I'd like to continue off where we uh, finished in our first segment. Can those with a lack of bounce, so to speak, you know, or lack of resiliency, can they turn things around? 
Like if somebody who's really down in the dumps and really experienced some negative situations, can they turn things around? And can organizations Well, turn? yeah, well, you know, I, I want to hope that they can, right? Because if we don't have hope, then what do we really have? Again, sometimes external forces, you know, help people turn things around, right? I mean, sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, the, or, the, um, the market changes and people just find themselves again in the right place. So I think it can happen, but you can't really depend on others to do it for you. So what, what are some examples? I think you, you gave a couple, actually, um, like the supporting structure that's around you, right? That's one way they yeah, can turn I, I things think around. You have, to, you, have to, you have to get out of your current environment. So I know a lot of people, let's say that your business failed or you lost your job, and a lot of people just, you know, stay to themselves at home and they continue to feel lousy about what happened about themselves. You have to get out and do something that's going to make you feel positive. So what I have found is go volunteer for an organization where you really feel your skills are going to make a difference. Go help out a friend in business. This is not for money. This is just helping people out so you feel, again, that you have value. Because I really believe, Alex, that we create our own, to a certain extent, we create our own reality. If you continue mm-hmm. to think of yourself as a failure, you will be a failure in the future. If you continue to think of yourself as success, you have a better chance of being successful in the future. That that's true. You know, there there's a lot of sayings in different cultures. You know, you are what you think. You know, to put it very right, simply, was, right? Absolutely. That was uh, that was um, the night, uh, Nightingale Conan. That's what the secret's all about, right? The, the book, the secret. You are that's what right. you think about. You're you're standing. You know, you're standing on the the fifth hole on a golf course. There's a sand trap in front of you, and you say, "God, I really hope I don't get in the sand trap. I hope I don't get in the sand trap. I hope I don't get in the sand trap." Well, chances are you're going to hit the sand trap. Yeah, exactly. You know, if that's what's on your mind, that's where you're focusing, right? I, I, do, I do like the idea of uh, volunteering, you know, to, to uh, help, help yourself grow. Uh, I think that's a, a really interesting point. Uh, by any chance, do you, have you done that yourself? Like, did, did you do that? Or? I have. I, I, yeah, I, I have. There's some great folks out there, great organizations out there that you can do it for. Uh, you know, there's a national uh, uh, organization called SCORE uh, in the U.S. where these are successful business people that volunteer and help other business people. Your skills are useful. And, again, if you can feel successful, if you can feel like you're contributing, your chances of, you know, moving yourself to another emotional and physical place uh, can really help. So you could join, you know, uh, I know here I'm a member of the Guelph Chamber of Commerce here in Guelph, Ontario. Right. Uh, you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, participating there or even in the exactly. um, some of the industry groups like Business Continuity International and, you know, Disaster Recovery exactly. and things like that. Yeah. That's an interesting exactly. one because I hadn't really thought of volunteering as a way to, to help, you know, make yourself uh, become resilient. but. It really well, makes sense. Well, you got to get out. You, you got to get out of the pity party, right? You got to get out of cheering the darkness. You got to move from a place where you feel bad. You have to give mm-hmm. yourself another chance to success, and you'll only give yourself another chance to success if you feel that you have an opportunity. You're feeling better about yourself, and I think you can feel better about yourself by helping others. That's true. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point, and I hope all the listeners are are cap- capturing that one because I wouldn't have thought of that one. Um. So. Let's move to the next point. In the book, you talk about accepting failure. What does this actually mean? 
And how do we accept failure? I know you hinted at it in the first first segment, but I'd really like to deeper dive, so to speak. Yeah, I, I think a lot of times when people fail, they do one of two things. They either deny it or they blame somebody else. It's somebody else's fault. It's the market's fault. It's the customer's fault. It's whoever's fault it is. It just isn't my fault. I, I think that you always don't have to say, well, it's my fault, but I think you have to say, hey, this happened. We weren't successful. Here are the reasons why we weren't successful. What can we learn and what can we shift so we have another chance uh, that we can get some success? I think that denial and not taking responsibility uh, is, is, is not a good place to start. And again, unfortunately, uh, at least in America, we have this culture uh, because of our president who is always blaming somebody else. And I think that when things go wrong, I think people appreciate that, well, you know, this went wrong. We screwed up. This was my part in it. This was, a, this was the other part in it. So I think that's where it starts. So uh, what would you suggest, because I've had my share of failures too, you know, and but somebody who's really, um, you know, consistently, you know, I don't want to say consistently failing, but, you know, not having success, and they're finding it difficult to, you know, accept that it's not working out. What would you say to that kind of, that person, you know, in a situation like that? I would say, let's, let, let's look at the track record. You've tried all these things. It hasn't worked out for whatever reason. Uh, it's time to try something else, right? And maybe you have more of a chance for that to work out. Or try to find place in that person's life where they have been successful. And then you try to build on that. So what, how, what are your feelings when an organization, you know, you see them on... <clears throat> newscasts and you know um yeah, they're saying you know oh, this occurred here because of that you know they, they start the blame game what what are your thoughts when other organizations start blaming other organizations who start blaming other people you know that that must create some sort of friction and compounds things doesn't it i think so i mean i think it makes those people uh feel good or it gives them some justification so they get to deflect it but i don't think it's really solving the problem no, I don't think it really moves organizations forward. Well, it probably creates more problems, you know, because now you've brought in, you know, if you admit you've made a mistake, you're able to move on. People will hopefully forgive you and see what you're doing to move forward. But if you start blaming other people, they start getting angry at you. And now people are looking at them. And, you know, it just it, what may have been a small problem has now mushroomed. And, and sometimes, sometimes, Alex, you can't recover. Right, you just can't, um, and then you just have to move on to something else. Yes, yeah, that's true. Uh, I, I had my own share, like I said, of failures when I wrote my first book. I thought it would be a fantastic idea to uh, send a uh, communication to all the Chamber of Commerce in Canada, you know, with cards and announcing what I'd done, and you know, I was available to speak and everything. And it was about three hundred different uh, communications and. I got zero responses. Boy, was I down in the dumps after that. <laughs> yeah, no one cared. No one cares. Exactly. But, you know. Only, only I, you cared. Yeah. Uh, but from there, I learned, you know, and bounced back and, you know, wrote more books. And, you know, <laughs> now I've, you know, got a radio show and, you know, right. doing other things. So, you know, I'm an example of that. And you at the beginning of the show are an example of that, too. It can be done, you know, by anybody. 
I, I think that most people, if you really understand, you know, their history have had their ups and downs. One of the problems that we face is most people don't want to talk about their downs where they failed until they've had some success. You know, so for example, it's very fashionable to someone who is a billionaire say, oh yeah, here's all my failures, right? But someone who's never financially succeeded in business, they're not going to talk about all their failures. Right, right. So what I don't like, Alex, is I don't really like the romantic, the romanticizing of failure because I think it just is. You know, people fail. It's not good or bad. It just is. We have to learn what we can, let it go, and move on. But let's not, let's not romanticize failure and saying that failure is such a great thing. You know, in America, they have something called Felcon, where people just go to the conference and talk about their failures and what they learned. And I'm not sure that we should spend that much time on it. Well, I yeah, think that we, we, little... we make up a justification. We make up a justification for the, the reason we, to make ourselves feel good. We make up a reason why we failed. And I'm not sure just making up a reason really helps us out. Mm, that's interesting. I never heard of a, a fail con, you said? Yeah, fail con. I'll have to look that up. I'll have to look that up just to see what that is. <laughs> But yeah, I I agree with you. Romanticizing, you know, failure is kind of, you know, I, I don't know. I just don't see it as anything valuable myself. But, but but it can get romanticized in our culture, especially after people have been successful. You know, I remember watching a speaker, and uh, she was had become very successful. She says, "Well, you know, I grew up as a child prostitute and a cocaine addict." And the woman sitting next to me goes, "God, I wish I grew up being a cocaine addict." Right, because they could come back from failure. So I think we've got to be careful. <laughs> yeah, that's not quite the way you want to do it. <laughs> so um, leading to our next point then, how does humility help us to move forward? I think that humility is a, a really good skill to have, especially when you're successful. I mean, I think that it's easy to be humble when you fail. But to be humble when you succeeded, knowing that, listen, you got here because of the help of a lot of other people and probably your share of luck, and that at any point it could change. I think that really helps a lot. I think it helps you appreciate the success that you do have so you don't take it for granted. Kind of a, you don't get anywhere alone. You know, you, you need others around you. Yeah, I mean, I mean, most people, uh, you know, believe that, except for the President of the United States, which always says that he alone can fix everything. Um, but I think most business people will say that it is a team effort and that if you're humble about it, um, that really helps uh, appreciate what you got. Well, that reminds me of something uh, I remember hearing in my project management uh, career path, where if there's a problem with the project it's the project manager's fault if the project succeeds it's the team's you know the team gets the credit right you know it's not one person right so the the next part you had in your book that uh had a lot of information were um the 10 building bands for true business confidence i thought this was an interesting section so um, let's get started there, see how far we get, and we'll probably carry that into the next uh, segment. But I'm, I'm just wondering if you're able to, to speak to those. 
Um, you know, I wrote the book a long time ago, so I don't really <laughs> remember the order of them. So if you can bring up something to suggest, I can do that. Well, let, you know what? I've got the book right beside me, so let me just uh, right. uh, see where that is, because I know it's around here somewhere. Uh, the 10 building. Oh, there we go. I'm, I'm, I'm on book number six, and this was book number two. So I oh, appreciate really? being interviewed about it, because it's one of my favorites, yes. Well, like I said, this book actually really came in handy um, uh, when I found it uh, at the uh, bookstore and thought, oh, this is kind of neat. And admittedly, yeah. you know, I'd probably gone through one or two uh, failures and I thought, oh, this is this is good. You know, it, yeah. it pumped me up and, you know, helped pull the socks Great, up and you. get me out of the doldrums and move forward. So that's why I reached out when I was going through my bookshelf and went, hey, I want to talk to that person. So. <laughs> Um, okay, so here we are. Um, the 10 uh, building bands of true business confidence. The first one was environment. Yeah, I, I, think that, I think that if you put yourself in the right environment, that really helps. And I think the right environment is really tricky because it's not to say one of the problems with, I mean, I love how my parents brought me up. But my mother pretty much promised me that every year I'd get promoted, every year I'd be more successful. And that wasn't real life. So I think that if you can get exposed to an environment where you succeed and fail, that really helps a lot. Um, that's why when my son, when he was very, when one of my sons was very young, they were playing baseball and they weren't keeping score. And I'm like, well, why shouldn't we keep score? We should know who won and who lost because being able to lose is just as important as being able to win. And the interesting part was the kids were keeping score, the adults weren't, but the kids know who won and lost. <laughs> I guess it's kind of in our nature then to to uh, figure that out or something, if the kids are keeping track. Exactly. And, and so I think it's really important as you grow up to know what it feels like to win, know what it feels like to lose, and how do you transition through the two? Because sometimes we win, sometimes we lose, and how do we go from one to the other? Mm-hmm. Are there any environments, you know, I, I know you, you were mentioning environments that, you know, enable you to uh, succeed and learn failure as well. Are there any environments that, you know, you, how, how do I say this, um, that aren't, um, you wouldn't recommend type thing, whether it be a business environment or, or a personal environment, a home environment, anything? I, I think that extreme environments on either side is no good. I mean, I think that people that grow up in a protected world of wealth and never really have to face the idea of failing because everyone around them is always supporting them, I think that's not good either, uh, as well as someone that's in an environment where, you know, they're homeless or are working at jobs where they can't make ends meet and they're, they're filing for bankruptcy. I think those are, you know, those are hard too. Um, I'm much more of a fan of the person that has gone through the difficult times and has come to the other end than folks that have never, you know, had to, uh, you know, had to, face, had to face it. I'm much more impressed by people that had to work while they went to school versus people like my children who were basically funded for a four-year college degree and, you know, didn't have to work while they were going to school. Mm-hmm. Well, we've come to the end of our second segment. We are talking with Barry Moltz, the author of Bounce, and we'll be right back. 
stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. We're, this is our last segment, and we're talking with Barry Moulds, and author of Bounce. So, Barry, before we went away, we started to talk about the 10 building bands of true business confidence. And a few of these uh, in the list I think we've already touched on. And before we went away, we talked about environment. The next one we had humility. Um, and I know we've already talked about that, unless there's something else you want to add. No. Okay. Uh, the next one is face the fear of failure. And I think you've touched on that too, unless there's something you'd like to add to that one. Well, I think that, you know, listen, being afraid is natural. You know, as I said uh, before we got on the show, I have been practicing karate for 15 years, and every single time you step on the floor in the dojo, it's okay to be afraid, right? Being <laughs> afraid is just a natural part of life. I mean, I love um, Dale Carnegie. Uh, he always talked about, well, how do you, you know, people are very scared to get up in front and talk in front of people, and he said, well, We'll never make those butterflies in your stomach go away. We just need to teach them to fly in formation. And I really like the visual of that. Mm. Um, and, yeah. and I think that it's okay to be afraid. We have a lot of focus in our society of getting over your fear. What I say is be afraid and do it anyways. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, you know, if you don't take risk, you're never going to move forward. Right, exactly. And, and there's, listen, there's a lot. I mean, you know, I'm afraid every day I step outside my apartment. I'm afraid every day that I open up the New York Times. 
God knows what happened overnight. Yeah. I have to drive on the 401 in Canada. And anybody listening know, in Canada knows what I mean right there. <laughs> exactly. So, our next one, um, in failure, give up the shame. That's an interesting one. Yeah. yeah there, I think that when people fail, there's a lot of shame that really goes along with it. We think when we fail from a business standpoint, it reflects who we are. But you are not your business. You don't have to be ashamed that you failed. I think that you should be, I don't want to necessarily say proud of it, but say, hey, it's something that happens. It happens to all of us. Again, what can I learn, let go, and move on so I get another chance of success? But people get caught in that shame, and I think it's a real problem. I mean, I think we're seeing a lot of shame around uh, people that fail through mental illness. Uh, we had the mm-hmm. recent deaths of... Um, uh, recent deaths of Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain, and people don't talk about the failure they're having inside depression because they're ashamed. And I mm-hmm. think it's a problem. Yeah, uh, should have that could be a show all on its own. Um, Absolutely. Um, so number five, failure gives a choice. Yeah, I think that people have to realize that when you fail, you now have a choice to go do something else. And I really am a big believer, Alex, that when one door closes, another door opens. And I think we have to realize, you know, many times, let's say that you have a client that's really, really bad, but they're a major client of yours and you just can't quit them. But let's say they fire you because you don't have all that baggage of trying to service them. It opens up other opportunities. Mm -hmm. So I'm a really big believer that, uh, as I said, when one door, you know, closes, maybe a window opens. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean you should jump out the window, but you know what I mean. Yeah. (laughs) Well, your first sentence, actually, in this bit, I I like. We don't always learn from failure. It is not a prerequisite for success. Exactly. I like that. Exactly. I, like I think that. a lot of a lot of people, you know, a lot of people think, oh, you know, I got to fail before I succeed. But you know, there's plenty of people that just keep succeeding and they never fail, and that's okay too. But for but for the rest of us, that's not the way it works. Yeah. Some of us. But have there's to, no glamour. Uh, <laughs> I, I, there's no glamour in failure, and I think many times, you know, there's a lot of glamour in failure, and I don't really like that. Well, the the perception too, I, I guess, out out there because of the culture that we have right now is if you do fail, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. And I, and I, I don't think that's true. You know, and, and unfortunately, that's the way uh, society tends to look at people or organizations or communities that have, you know, uh, experienced something. You know, there must be something wrong. They did something wrong. You know, there, there's, there's, and that's, that's not helpful. Yeah, I, I think that especially happens if people haven't had a lot of success, right? So we don't, you know, the billionaire that has failed in their past, we don't necessarily think there's something wrong with them. We think, oh, you know, they failed and they became a billionaire. I guess if I fail eventually, I'm going to become a billionaire too. Um, it doesn't mm-hmm. quite work that way either. Yeah. So number six, more effective risk-taking. I like this one. I, I, yeah, I, I think that unfortunately by their very nature – Small business owners uh, are thought of as being risk takers, but I think that if we really knew the risk that we were going to take as small business owners, we would never do it. It's just way too crazy. <laughs> so I think that you have to make sure that you hedge your bets, and I believe that the way you do that is make very small decisions. 
In other words, it's kind of like tacking a sailboat across a very windy lake. You're constantly adjusting direction to get where you want to go. So you make a small decision, you learn what you can, you get the result, and then you make another decision to kind of keep yourself moving forward. Try not to make take huge risks all at one time. Because especially early on in the business, you really don't even know the right questions to ask. Mm-hmm. So it's like when you get started, you uh, you think about, okay, this is where I want to go. How am I going to get there? And adjust the course as you go rather than you know, racing headlong down the road to, to you know, a certain destination and unaware that there's potholes and everything along the way. Absolutely. And, you're gonna, and, and the only way that you actually learn is by actually going out there because while creating a business plan is, is a good and necessary part because it has you go through the process of what it will take, it will be different than what's in the business plan, invariably. Yeah, I, I've known a few people that uh, you know either are self-employed or have small businesses, and uh, you know when I've talked to them, they've all said, "Well, I'm not where I thought I would be, but I'm much happier." <laughs> and right. I was going right. why, and they said, "Well, I, I thought you know I had all this mapped out, but you know when you start start your journey, you you find all these other decisions you never really knew you had to make along the way, so you end up going somewhere else, but you're happier because you're you're making the right choices as you go." Agreed. So number seven, uh, process trumps over. Sorry, process trumps outcome. What yeah, that, that's that? when we used to be able to use that. We, that's when we used to be able to use that word trump because that was way before uh, 2016. Um, <laughs> you know, process process is really uh, process is really incredibly important because if you don't have a good process, your chances of having a good outcome really lessen. And that's one of the problems that a lot of small businesses have is they don't focus, Alex, on what the process is. And so what they ultimately do is they end up actually recreating the same thing over and over and over again every single day. And that's also problematic. Well, it it kind of reminds me of, uh, again, my project management uh, uh, experience that, uh, you know, all these resilient systems that are out there and they're all put in place to be resilient, but they actually don't align with what the business process is. You know, the, the systems are supposed to support the process, not the other way around, Mm -hmm. you know, and I've seen that, seen that, you know, uh, fall flat on its face far too many times. Yeah. One of the things that I talked about later on was that I believe that people times process equals profit that inside any organization, if you have a good process really as the competitive advantage, then it will really produce the best profit for your company. And we don't focus as small business owners enough on process. Mm -hmm. So number eight, um, setting patient goals for success and failure. Yeah, this is similar to what I was talking about before where we can't, uh, we can't say, all right, let's all put it on red and just spin the dial, right? We have to really be patient because we have to understand that most overnight success takes seven to ten years. We have to really realize that a lot of the folks that you see out there that have had incredible financial success, they've been doing it for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, if not, maybe they just inherited their money. But most people have been doing it for quite a while until they really hit their success. I mean, one of the things you can take a look at is a lot of musical bands out there. How many, how many different bands this certain musician has been a part of 
until they actually got a number one song. And you'd be surprised. Uh, some of those people have been around for like 20 and 30 years. Mm-hmm. Yes. There, you have a, a comment in here that in this section that I, I want to read and maybe you could speak to. And it's under the setting patient goals for success and failure. Reality eventually collides with the dream that has been thrust upon us by others. Can you comment on that? Because that's a really interesting yeah. point. Yeah, I, I think that for myself growing up, there's a lot of large expectations to succeed. And I think that especially today, when you start your own business, everyone thinks, wow, he could be the next Mark Zuckerberg. He could be the next Mark Cuban. He could be the next, uh, you know, Oprah Winfrey. And mm-hmm. I think that, unfortunately, that's in all likelihood not going to happen. So there are these huge expectations that get thrust upon you, and maybe you don't even want to do that. Maybe you don't even want to build a multi-million dollar company. Maybe you just want to have your own business where you make a living. So mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of pressure, uh, especially in many cultures, to succeed. I mean, I come from a Jewish family, and our family, for the men, there's tremendous amount of pressure to be financially successful uh, because that's a lot, a lot of what the uh, value in the culture is really faced, uh, based on. Well, I remember a few years ago when I, I first you know, really started to publish books and do a bunch of other things, but... Um, someone said, oh, you're going to try to be the next, you know, and they mentioned somebody, and I said, no, I'm not going to be the next anybody, but I'll be the first Alex Fullig. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> I'm exactly. Not, I'm not going to live up to your expectations, just mine. You know. And, and, and um, I think having these huge expectations sometimes, Alex, can, be, can really hurt you, right? It can really hold you back. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I completely agree, you know, because you, that gives you that uh, feeling of failure, not just yourself, but now I failed all these other people, and it could be worse. Exactly. Yeah. So, number nine, a measurement system of our own. Yeah, I think that we have to give up what our definition of success really is. I said before, early in the show, that my definition of success isn't just, it certainly has a financial component, because I think that's part of the way um, especially in North American cultures where you have a lot of diverse folks. It's a way that we keep score. But I believe it can't be the only measure of success. So I think you have to think about what is your measure? How are you going to keep score? What matters to you? Mm-hmm. I think it's very, very important to see if you can see it against that measure, not what society said. But don't get me wrong. I don't think, Alex, we should be all woo-woo, right? It has to include <laughs> some kind of monetary part. Right. Okay. Um, and the last one, value action. I think, that, I think that people have to be action-based. I think a lot of times folks just talk and talk and talk about things in business, but if you don't take action, actually go out there and do it, nothing's going to get done, and you're not going to get any information that's going to get you any closer to actually succeeding if you don't take action and risk the success or failure of that. Well, I like the comment you have here for value action. Stop reading this book and see what comes next. Experience <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> confidence. <laughs> exactly. And I think that's a perfect spot to uh, end the show on it, with that comment. Um, I w- want to thank Barry uh, for being on the show. And uh, his book, again, uh, the full title, Bounce, Failure, Resiliency, and Confidence to Achieve Your Next Great Success. 
Barry, thanks very much. It, do you have any closing comments you'd like to you know, provide us? Any, any nope, just, in the last uh, couple minutes? Just, I, appreciate you ta- I appreciate you taking it off the shelf. If you want to reach me and if I can help you in any way, uh, you can go to www.barrymoltz.com, B-A-R-R-Y-M-O-L-T-Z.com, or on any of the social media platforms under the same name. Great. Well, thanks again very much for being on the show. And to everybody out there, again, um, I will be in Phoenix uh, with Voice America, and we'll be doing live broadcasts at the Disaster Recovery Journal Conference, September 23rd to 26th. And if you have any topics that you want us to talk about, again, please feel free, go to the site, send me an email, and we'll see about getting you on the show or somebody else to come on the show and talk about the topic you're looking for. So in the meantime, everyone, thanks for listening, and stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.